This is Michael Cowan, and welcome to Trial Lawyer Nation. You've got to have the right case because if you take it up and it's the wrong case, then you can make some really bad law that's going to affect a lot of plaintiffs. There's always an answer. The joy is in finding. One of the reasons that I love being a lawyer is this exact process. The way we live our life has nothing to do with the presentation sequence at trial. As trial lawyers, we pick up and move on and keep going. You're losing or gaining one out of every 10 jurors, which can really make a huge difference in the ultimate result of the case. Whatever you think about, you create. Learn all you can and never stop. And then have the guts to try case after case after case. Welcome to the award-winning podcast, Trial Lawyer Nation, your source to win bigger verdicts, get more cases, and manage your law firm. And now, here's your host, noteworthy author, sought-after speaker, and renowned trial lawyer, Michael Cowan. Today on Trial Lawyer Nation, I have our marketing genius, Delisi Friday, who's not just my marketing genius, she is also our trial prep make sure we can have visuals, make sure everything works uh, genius in the office. How are you doing today, Delisi? Well, I'm doing great because I think you call me genius like three times. Well, you are. And so the uh, you all might notice if people are used to getting this thing first thing in the morning when this uh, podcast gets out that we are late today for the first time ever. Uh, we're into our third season and I'm a little embarrassed, but there's a pretty good reason. I was supposed to be starting the biggest trial of my career today. Uh, and I had been doing nothing but trial prep uh, until about actually 11 p.m. on Saturday night uh, when the case resolved. Uh, probably should have been disciplined enough to do uh, a podcast yesterday, uh, but it didn't happen. Um, there was maybe a little alcohol involved yesterday afternoon, and uh, we had to blow off some of the steam. We built up uh, getting ready for trial. But, uh, you know, Delisi and I did a lot. It was going to be a Zoom trial. Um, which is a little scary, but also really exciting because there's all sorts of possibilities with that. And so we thought we'd share a little bit about what we learned uh, getting ready for this trial. Uh, so, Delisa, can you talk to us a little bit about some of the stuff we did and, and you and your team did to help get us ready for trial? So I think first we started with talking about the space that we were going to use because for you it was important to, yes, you had your space where you could sit down, but you're a very physical person. So you needed a space that we had dedicated for this trial where you could stand up. So we started by figuring out where was that gonna be? And then how do we make that space up? So we did everything from moving furniture to make it open for you. Um, We bought a backdrop. So it looked like a professional backdrop. We thought about, you know, do you have degrees in the background when you're sitting down at your desk or do we have another backdrop? lighting, sound, video, um, and then who was going to be where, because during all of this, we still had a social distance. And then we had to think about who was everyone's, what was their job? Who was going to be in charge of saying they're in charge of making sure this camera's on this person. If you were going to pull up an exhibit or a visual of some kind, who's in charge of that? Um, and then where everyone was going to be. So there was a lot of stuff. I would say that the logistics was a big part of that, but so was the technical aspect. Um, And I'm sure we'll talk about it today because we went back and forth on some of the technical and you also practiced a lot, which helped because what we started off thinking was going to happen didn't end up happening later. So 
I would say a lot of that was thinking about the space. Where was it? What was going to be showing? How are we going to show it? And what were the different uh, pieces of equipment that we were going to need? And whose job was what? Yeah, you know, every, of course, every case has its own budget. And, you know, had we been doing a, you know, let's say smaller car wreck case, uh, we would not have been able to maybe do some of the things we did, but we, I think we still could have done a lot of what we did. Uh, and, you know, I, I think the first thing to talk about is just the, the ability to stand up. You know, the one, one of the things about a Zoom trial is if it's nothing but a talking head, uh, and you expect this one, you know, I don't like, I like quick trials, but this one, just because of the number of witnesses and exhibits. And at one time there were going to be two plaintiffs, other plaintiffs settled out before we did, but it was looking like a two week trial when we were planning it. Cause we had, I think 38 to 40 witnesses we were going to call. Uh, then other people were going to call some witnesses too. Uh, and I don't think that, but whether you do a small one or a big one, I think that for Vordire, for opening statement, especially you don't want to be sitting down. You want to be able to stand up. You want to be able to use your hands. You want to be able to use body positioning and body movements. Uh, but it's a, it's a challenge, not just, we don't, not only had to figure out, okay, how do we film it? Where can we film it? Uh, but really what you're doing in a Zoom trial, and this, it was exciting and scary at the same time because we were really doing a live TV show. Yeah. That was going to go on for six to eight hours a day no retakes, you know, it's like, you're live, you're good. And so just like a live TV show, you have to think about where are you in the screen? What, what is the, you know, not only are, what are you doing? What's the audience going to do? And, you know, we're, we're used to basically putting on a, a live theater, you know, a live stage production in a, in a courtroom. And you have a lot more space to work in, in a courtroom. And so like, I can say when I'm talking about what the defendant did wrong, I can stand here. And when I'm talking about the what happened in the crash and the crash scene, I'm going to be here. And then I can have another place for when I'm talking about my client before, you know, just different thing, different spaces that you anchor to different parts and then kind of, you know, create your rally in the courtroom. Well, what we found on the Zoom screen, is, um, you know, is we had a much smaller area to work with. Uh, and when we tried having a camera follow me around, it just didn't work very well. Um, you know, we, and now when we got the professional camera people, and we'll get to that later, that may have worked a little better, but at least when, with us doing it ourselves, you know, we didn't have the equipment, even with a tripod, it was shaky uh, and just not as smooth. And it was disorienting to the people who watched it. Uh, and so I think one big thing when we do our Zoom trials is, is to, you know, get your space, think about your lighting anywhere from, you know, you know, we, we do other things because of our marketing department and stuff. So we had some professional lighting, we rented some more, uh, on a big case to, you know, I'm right here, I'm using just a, you know, a vlogging, the ultimate vlogging kit. I bought it at Best Buy a little while ago because uh, I left my ring light at the office. But even that, you know, 100, 200 bucks, uh, it makes all the difference from, you know, them being able to see your face to looking dark and sinister. Well, you mentioned see your face. So I want to bring it up. You had a chance to speak to someone who had um, been in a Zoom jury trial and talked about how important it was for the jurors to see your face. So what advice was that and what advice would you share? Yeah, the, the big thing is that they originally had two lawyers sitting at a conference room table and a wide, a wide angle camera where you could see both lawyers at the same time. Uh, but because you could see both at the same time sitting six feet apart and socially distanced, then you can not really see either one of their faces. 
uh, and even if you sat a little closer, well, one, you're sending the signal to the jury that if you're not wearing your mask and you're sitting within six feet, that you don't really care about safety, which is the opposite of what we're trying to say in our lawsuit. So you, you're already giving an incongruous method message that if you're preaching safety, but you're not practicing it, you're a hypocrite and, and you, you're not worthy of being believed. Uh, and I'm not, you know, I don't care what your personal feelings are on this stuff. I'm just telling you, if you're trying a case, uh, you don't want to do anything that's going to cause cognitive dissonance in the jurors or make a juror think you're a hypocrite. Uh, right. Even if you've both been vaccinated or you both just got over it, you know, maybe, you know, you couldn't get it or, you know, or maybe just everyone in the room is COVID positive. It's, you don't have to worry about spreading anymore. Whatever it is, it doesn't matter. I mean, you have to create that image. So, you know, I think that's a big mistake. I think it's better to have two cameras, one in each person, um, you know, in, even if you're in the same room uh, and have good, but good lighting. They have to be able to see your face. Uh, and we had one of the, the judge even pointed out one of our hearings, one of our lawyers, he was at home. And he's like, you know, Mr. So-and-so, I'm sure you're a very nice man, but you look really sinister because, you know, of the dark lighting. Uh, you know, you need the judge said you need to get some lighting, better lighting. Yeah. Um, well, and I think another part of that is also your eye contact. So one of well, the eye contact and then what people see, because one of the things I didn't realize is when you like to point at things so you can guide someone where to look. And one of the things we realize is when you do that in Zoom you're a mirror image and you don't know what someone's going to see. So that was one thing that we learned right away. But the other thing was you had to learn how to look at a camera to connect to someone, but you couldn't look at their face. So how hard was that? And how did you practice? That was really hard. So let, let's do the two. I want to do, those are two different things. So one, you know, especially working with Sara de Lamont, I learned in the stage in the courtroom you know, if I want the jury to look here, I need to look there. I need to look where the jury, where I want the jury to look. So if I'm working with an exhibit, you know, if I'm making eye contact with the juror and saying, look over here to my right, it's again, it's cognitively confusing. Like I'm making eye contact with you, but I'm telling you not to look at me. So I need to go look where I want them to look. I need to lead it. Well, you're exactly right. On a Zoom, one, I don't know where my window is going to be when I go, you know, when we go to scare screen and I'm going to be sticking in a window somewhere. I don't know where that window is going to be on the jury screen. So I can't necessarily point. And then there's a whole mirror image thing where, you know, where I'm pointing maybe the opposite of where I intend to point. So it's very confusing. And so what, what I had to learn, like, let's say we're going to share a picture. I had to learn. And for example, there's a stop ahead sign before you get to the intersection. And I had to shut up, let the stop ahead sign go up with me, just a little picture, leave it there in silence for a couple seconds fade out, wait till I get the okay signal or the thumbs up signal that I can start talking again. And, you know, and it took a lot of practice because, you know, you're, I'm used to directing everything myself while I'm speaking. And now we had to turn to, we have to really practice and rehearse, which made yeah. me, I think it made my presentation a lot better than it's ever been because, you know, I usually do some practice, but never this much uh, yeah. because we had to do the technical stuff. And so we just really had to be, you know, we pretty much had a script and, you know, sometimes my word would change, you know, a little bit from here and there, but basically I was going to say this, we would display this. I would say that, we would display that. And it had, and then, you know, where I was going to stand, what gestures I was going to make. I mean, all that had to be practiced. And the other thing is the gestures, you know, uh, for those who, are we, are we showing this on video too? Yes. Okay. So like here, I'm reaching up, you can't see my hands. You know, or I'm going out like this. You can't see my hands. So, you know, can I do a gesture that's not going to be like a little gesture that makes me look weak, but big enough, but still not go totally out of the screen? Now, you can go a little bit out because, you know, they see what you're doing. 
The other thing I learned is like right here, my hands look gigantic because they're a lot closer to the camera than I am. Um, so. It, you know, I jokingly said, it's like you're a flight attendant and you have to know exactly where you're gonna put your hands, where and when and purposefully. Yes. And I, I have I heartedly joked about that phrase, but it was so true because once you started to get in your groove and you knew where you were gonna put your hands and when you were gonna do it, it was, uh, it was impactful and it was like what you were doing was on purpose and it, it made a big difference because when you didn't, it didn't feel as confident, but once you got into it, it felt very confident. To me, it was almost a new level of mastery. Like, you know, I worked a long time. I've been working for years with first with Josh Carton. I was sorry to Lamont about using my hands and just kind of it naturally kind of happening, which is good. But this time we had to purposefully plan and rehearse my hand gestures. Yeah. Uh, and I think it was even better because like at one point, like, you know, I had this person here was one person. I'm, I'm just leaning here. I, I was standing and moving when I was doing you know, this was like, so like the operations manager complains to this to this person. You're not your drivers aren't doing safety training and nothing happens. So then he goes up to his boss. Hey, they're not doing safety training. Make them do safety training and nothing happens. That doesn't work. He goes to the, the other managers. He goes all the way up to the vice president level saying, hey, you know, and you, you practice where you're pointing, where you're looking, and you create the spaces on the screen that you're looking at so that it really looks like there's one person talking to three other people complaining about the lack of safety of this company. Uh, and it took work. I mean, it was, but it was fun work. It wasn't like all the other motions we had to respond to and stuff like that. I think part of it, because it was so new, it was just energetic and fun to do uh, when all the tech was working. So that's, I guess, I answered the first half of your question. The second half was on eye contact. Uh, that was the biggest problem was really for, because for opening, you know, I just practiced talking to the camera. And so that's easy. You just look at the camera, you talk at it. But for jury selection, we were going to have a screen with up to 49 people, most of whom would be jurors, on the screen at once. And so, and we'd gotten a 70-inch, uh, we have a 70-inch TV that we just hook up to a computer uh, that we've been using for trial for a few years. Uh, and, you know, it was great because you could actually see that the, the squares were big enough that standing behind the camera, I could see the squares, see the names. But when I talk to someone, let's say someone's in the upper right corner, when, when I'm looking at the upper right corner, I am making no eye contact at all. And so like I'm talking to them, but it looks like I'm looking off to the side when I'm talking to them. Then when I look at the camera, so they see that I have eye contact, I have to look at their reactions out of the corner of my eye. And it's really hard to do. Yeah. Uh, and so we practiced it. It was still weird. I mean, I'm, I'm not going to I'm not going to lie. It was weird. Now, we came up with a solution. Uh, and again, you know, the bigger the case, the bigger the budget can be. So the initial solution was just to get another monitor and put it right below the camera and have lo be logged in twice. So once I would be logged in as me and that's where I'd have the gallery view where I'd see someone else. And then we'd just be logged in as like, you know, CRP attorneys or Catwin firm or some of that. And that one we would have on where it would spotlight the speaker. So at least I could have that right, right below the camera and be looking at the camera and still see that person. Uh, and then uh, later on the story we'll talk about, we, had, we ended up through some frustration uh, hiring professionals uh, to come in and they had a teleprompter that actually they could use a teleprompter screen where I would see the person and actually like the camera would actually be behind the image of the person and I could actually talk directly to the person. And that was awesome. It, you know, if you have the budget, you know, if you're doing a seven figure or up case, I would definitely say 
for opening selection, for opening statement, for jury selection, you know, hire a professional camera crew uh, with professional lighting because as good of a job as you all did, uh, you know, it really was when you have someone that has has the real equipment uh, that costs, you know, way more than we'd ever spend and, and has the experience producing live TV shows. Uh, it really does make a difference. Well, and I'm sure it made a difference in your confidence too. Yeah. And, uh, and, you know, not, and like I said, your team did a great job, but you know, we had, we had done one practice and we wanted to improve a few things. And this was so embarrassing. So we did a practice with people in the office and everything worked fine for Vordar. And I got this bright idea that I was going to do another practice session. And I put a call out uh, both through uh, the a trucking lawyer group, the Academy truck accident attorneys that I'm in on their list serve. And then through sorry to Lamotte's hostage to hero group on, on Facebook, I put a call out, hey, does anyone want to volunteer to be a practice juror to help me with my board hire? And I had all these people want to do it. Uh, and frankly, it is scarier to do a practice in front of a bunch of other lawyers that I don't know that well from around the country than it is with a real jury. Because <laughs> <laughs> I wasn't only having to think about connecting with the people, but I was having to think, okay, now they study the same techniques I have. So they're going to be judging me on, you know, am I getting it right? Is my body language right? What am I doing? Am I, am I following the right techniques? And, you know, our, our tech guy, our visual guy, uh, Raul, had tried to up, use the new updated, upgraded stuff that we got, and it didn't work. Mm-hmm. It just, it, you know, one of the cameras wouldn't broadcast. My microphone ran out of battery. Another microphone didn't work. I mean, it was like 10 minutes of just technical glitches. And, oh, my gosh, uh, it, was, it was not fun. And, and uh, of course, in front of everybody else, you know, all the other people. And, and everyone was really nice about it. I mean, I think it turned out okay. But it was, uh, it was good that it, w- that it happened, you know, the Thursday before uh, Vordire and not on the morning of. Uh, but, I mean, I think it's one of the lessons is, you know, practice with the equipment you're going to use. If you're going to make any changes, you need to go practice, practice, practice. Make sure it's going to work perfectly uh on the day of because you don't want to be thinking about is a tech going to work or not you want to be thinking of that connection with yeah. agree. and and i agree with that i think i think what happened was as we started getting better and better getting ready for this we thought well how can we continue to up it how can yeah. we keep doing better and i think that was one lesson i learned in this was there had to be a stopping point where we didn't do anything else new because we needed plenty of time to rehearse with it so yes, it went well before because we were using the same equipment. And, you know, from my perspective, when we got the new camera, it was because we needed to do it so we could do a witness and you yeah. and both had good quality. But what we weren't ready for was for the new camera to have a setting we hadn't practiced with. <laughs> yeah. And that that's where that technical glitch came in with the audio we spent time looking to find the best microphones and made you feel like you had a TED talk going on and he looked great and the sound quality was good. And we charged the battery the whole time before you went live. But even though the box said it was going to last a certain amount of time, it didn't. So I think we learned you have to make sure you don't change these things too close to trial. And you can't always expect the equipment to work, even if you just bought it. You know, we spent a lot of money on that mic. So, you know, we still have the box. I'm going to return it. There's no reason for us to spend money on something if it says it works a certain amount of time and it doesn't. So that was, that was a big, um, 
that was a big opportunity for us to realize if you're going to do this, use all that equipment before. So now I'm just thinking, how do we implement that in our office? And I think we should be using all the equipment we're going to use in trial right now. We should get comfortable with it and we should know it and feel confident it's going to work when it needs to whenever we do this again. Each year, the law firm of Callen Rodriguez Peacock pays millions of dollars in co-counsel fees to attorneys nationwide on trucking and company vehicle cases. If you have a case involving death or catastrophic injuries and would like to partner with our firm, please contact us. We have experience finding potential defendants that other firms miss, and we've added millions of dollars to cases by finding these sources of recovery. If you have a catastrophic injury or death case where the policy limits appear to be insufficient, give us a call. If we can find another defendant, we can partner on the case. And if we can't, then we won't ask for any of the fees. You can reach Delisi Friday by calling 210-941-1301 or send an email to podcast at triallawyernation.com. She will coordinate a time for Michael Cowan to speak with you in person or by phone to discuss the case in detail. And now back to the show. I think the other thing is, you know, Raul, the guy we had doing it, you know, he's seen, he's been to one trial with me in, in real life, but he's never, I don't think he quite envisioned what a virtual Zoom Bordire would be. And, you know, now that he, that he's seen it, you know, when I, you know, cause the day that we, that I was practicing with all these other people was also a day that I had a bunch of uh, court filings due and motion responses. And, you know, I was like, I, I put an hour aside from this and I had to get back to other deadlines. And, you know, it was a stressful day. And, you know, next time I'm going to say, you need to rehearse the tech and have it perfect before I get there and not be messing with it with me there and using me as the guinea pig for messing with it. You know, it's just one of those, you know, live and learn. You know, we, we learn. Uh, but I do think that we need to be doing more, you know, if we're going to keep doing Zoom trials and, and uh, you know, I'm hoping that I'm going to get to try a case. I mean, I'm, I really wanted to try this one, believe it or not. It's just at some point, the numbers get to the point where, you know, the you're not doing your client a service because even if you hit a home run, you have a risk of getting, you know, millions of dollars less than what the offer is. It's like, well, you know, it's in, and you know, the client wants to take it. It's in the client's best interest and you, you've got to do the right thing. Uh, but I'm, I'm just hoping we have, you know, we have at least one case a month set from now till the pandemic's over, uh, whenever that is. And I'm hoping at least one of those times I get to go one of these zoom trials because I'm, I'm dying to do one. I really think, I really think we can do as well, if not better in a Zoom trial than an in-person trial. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think the people that are doing it, especially now that it's novel, they want to be there. Everyone I've talked to that's done one, the jurors are engaged. They're watching and listening. They like the fact that they don't have to go downtown to where the courthouse is, find parking, deal with all the you know, uncomfortable chairs and you know, just being there at the courthouse all that time. I, I think they're going to enjoy it. And I think that a story is a story is a story. If we have a good story, we can tell it through this medium as well as we can tell it uh, from the courthouse medium. And frankly, as plaintiff lawyers, there is another advantage uh, in that we control what the jurors see. Because a lot of times at the courthouse, they're not listening to the testimony. They heard your client say, I can't go more than 30 minutes before my back starts hurting and then I have to get up. And your client is trying to stay there and be stoic and they don't want to be getting up and being disrespectful to the client. Well, there's a juror timing them. And they keep going over, look, is he squirming? Is he getting up? Is he doing this? How long has it been? They're not paying attention at all. Or how is your client walking? Or what, what, what is your client's facial expression to certain testimony? Well, a Zoom trial, you turn your client's camera off. Yeah. Or, or not have your client there. You know, they're a little easier. Or, or at least you know what they're seeing. They only see the face. They don't see them walking around. They don't see it. It just changes everything. 
because we control we control what the focus is. It's really, uh, I think, an advantage. So I'm I'm wanting to do one. I'm excited about it. I'm sure we will. And you mentioned storytelling is storytelling, and I will say, as someone who watched your opening many times, and I saw how it changed throughout the process. I thought it was so interesting when you would do it through Zoom because you want to rehearse like people are going to see it. One of the pieces of feedback we always get was the the less you used and the more you focused on your facial expressions, your hand gestures, your body, the more people connected with you. And at the very beginning, we were talking about what visuals were going to happen because we didn't want people to lose interest. But I found it so interesting that more people were engaged with you when you didn't. So what what was that process like for you? Yeah, my it's funny because my original script probably had, what, 20 visuals at least in it because uh, <laughs> I wanted to break it up. And my also thought was to use two cameras so we can be switching the camera angle on me so we could get rid of the boringness. And then people thought that that was distracting, the camera angle changes. And they found that when there were too many visuals that it did break up the uh, – it, it broke the eye contact and stuff. Uh, and so, yeah, it, it, it it's funny because I didn't think I could do the eye contact thing over Zoom. I, I just, I didn't believe I could make that connection. Uh, and it turned out I could, uh, it, which was really so cool. I mean, to me, that's, that, that's, that's game changing. That if people are watching, you can look at the camera and they can feel you over Zoom. And, and through your facial expressions, through your gestures, through your vocal tone, you can create an emotional connection even over this camera. It really is, but it's not, but not if you just sit there and be boring. I mean, you have to, you know, you have to put work into it. Uh, you also have to really believe your story. Yeah. You, so your story did change a lot. How important was it for you to have fellow trial lawyers to bounce ideas off of to get to that point where you were ready for opening? It was invaluable. And I, and I, have so many people and I, I'm going to, I don't want to name all the names cause I'm, I'm going to forget some. And I don't want to hurt any, anyone's feelings, but I, I had friends uh, from across the country. You know, I recorded one of the first versions of my opening statement. I put it on Dropbox and I shared it with select people and they took 30, 45 minutes to give me feedback. Sometimes some written, some, you know, some uh, on the phone, sorry to Lama who's going through chemo. <laughs> like, I don't want to cry saying this. I mean, she actually recorded a video of going over my opening statement and giving me coaching on it. You know, when she, one of the 45 minute times she was feeling well enough to do it. I mean, I love her. Well, God bless her for doing, I mean, just the, the love I felt, the part of a community, the, you know, no one has said, Oh, by the way, I want 5% of your case because I'm doing this for you. I mean, it was, and you're not going to get it if you're thinking, but (laughs) the, you know, just having that support and that feedback, really helped. Now, you know, different people had different ideas. I didn't do everything, everyone, but it made a huge difference. The other thing is, was my feel, you know, as I practiced, I just realized things that looked good on paper, didn't feel right when I did them in person. Uh, uh, you know, Artemis Malekpour was also, she's with David Ball's partner. Uh, she also, uh, was nice enough. No, we were paying her, but she was nice enough to give me some really good feedback and she's also brilliant. Uh, that's one thing I've learned is just, you know, we, we're there to help each other. And, you know, there's professionals that will help you, but, you know, there's colleagues that will help you and getting that feedback and then using it, you know, and, and, and also, you know, you listen and you have discernment. Like, yes, this fits for me. You know that there are, you know, some people had some ideas that were really cool, but they weren't me. Yeah. Uh, 
And the other thing that really made me happy is the, and it kind of surprised me because I was almost apologetic when I asked Artemis to look at my opening because I did not strictly follow the David Ball opening structure. Uh, and I was a little worried. <laughs> I love Artemis, but I, I was a little worried about a lecture. And I had very specific reasons for not, uh, like our, our case involved, a stop sign, a stop ahead sign, a highway intersection head sign, things like that, that the driver didn't see any of, and he, and he passed and wasn't looking. And, um, you know, I thought if I just showed the signs, the signs are the rules. I didn't have to say, when there is a stop sign, we must stop. And if we don't stop with a stop sign and we cause a crash, we are responsible for the harm that we cause. I mean, it just seems silly to say that. And then there was a, a very contested issue of whether the driver was messing with a cell phone or not. Uh, I believed under the forensic evidence he was, but the driver, I mean, he denied it. We didn't have any in-cab video or anything. And it's interpreting the data on there, which, you know, I thought showed that, you know, he was messing with it in three seconds before he was used three seconds before the crash, he was pressing a button on it, but you know, their experts said otherwise. And so rather than me saying, me putting it out there saying this guy's on the phone or me saying, you know, a driver must not be distracted by the cell phone while driving and where I'm kind of like putting it out there. I wanted to tell the story in such a way where the juror is going to say, of course, he's on the freaking phone, you know, let you know, David Ball calls it alignment. Uh, when you tell the story that makes them say the defendant violated the rules, then because they came up with themselves, they grasp onto it and they'll fight for it and they'll hold onto it and they'll see the whole case through that prism. And that's what I was really trying to do. Uh, and I just felt for this case, you know, the traditional state the rule, tell the story of how the defendant broke the rules, you know, throw in a statistic, all that kind of stuff. It just, it didn't work for this case. And, and you know, Artemis actually like the like the format so i was very pleasantly surprised yeah. so yeah no but it was great to have so many people and if anyone here was one of those people i mean i i owe you guys uh and and i said guy you men and women i owe you all and you know next time when we can see each other in person you know the first rounds on me dinners on me uh, i will tell you it was really awesome to see it from the very beginning to what you had it to just before trial was supposed to begin when you came back and you did something different, I would be like, how did I not think of that? And it would yeah. just, just the smallest thing. You didn't change the words. You changed some of the ways that you maybe phrased something or the order, or you added a little something, or you changed the direction you were facing the camera. Um, they all made a difference. So it was, it was, it was very cool to see that, especially as someone who I didn't know anything about the case. So when yeah. I heard your opening, I was really hearing it for the first time. Um, and it was, it was very fun and magical to see the, the changes once you incorporated some of that. And one of the great things actually, you know, cause since we had to practice with the camera and the lights anyway, is, you know, sometimes I do the whole opening, but I'd like, when you want to tweak, you, you pick the part you want to tweak and you just work on that part. So, you know, Hey, I, I want to do on how we set the scene. Let, let me work on scene setting. And we do that a couple of times till we felt really good about it. Okay. Well, let me tell the story of what happened and, you know, like we realized the first time I set the scene going towards the camera and then I told the story going like perpendicular to the camera. And that's like, what the, you know, who was it? I think it was Ken Levinson. I think it was, I think it was Ken Levinson or Steve Gersten. One of the two was like, you set the scene one way and then you turn it and like, I don't trust you anymore. Like what, yeah. what the hell's going on here? Uh, you know, it's like, Oh wow. What a, so I tried it both ways and then we looked at it and then same for, you know, we we're trying some expressions and, and positioning of, 
so we can like let's do like you know three let's do this three minute part of the opening because i was trying to get the whole opening believe it or not on a whole opening on a major catastrophic case in under 20 minutes because i think it's important in the zoom especially but even a courtroom i mean to be brief uh and uh but we could just take like a three to five minute part practice it watch it practice it I mean, and just get it to where it's perfect and then you put it all together uh it was just you know it was fun and that you know i've always preached like practice 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 and i've tried but because we had to do the technical part it really forced me to be disciplined and actually do it and so i was so much more prepared uh, so much more relaxed than i've ever been i, I think it also helped you take some risks too because when we started to get into it, we started to do different things. Like I'll give an example. We practiced doing it left to right. And then you took the advice and you said, okay, let's do it forward and backward facing the camera. And at the very end, we even did it towards, you kept getting closer and closer and closer to the camera and we would mark it. And then you got really close. And as you were telling the story, just your position to the camera and walking closer and closer to the camera made it so much more dramatic. And I loved it. And then when the cameras, when the, when the, when the other drivers were on the stop sign, like my whole body's going, you can't even see my face anymore because you feel like something's running the stop sign about to hit you. Yes. Uh, yes. It, it yeah. felt, I don't want to say theatrical, but it, it, in a way it did. We were able to use, use the fact that we were doing this through zoom to our advantage to tell the story but to make it stand out and i think that part of the the practice was very helpful to the case and making it stand out i i was actually kind of sad we settled because i really wanted to see what defense counsel was going to do and then how that was different from ours because we worked so hard getting it ready yeah they, they told after you know we we also did a, some uh what I call psychological warfare on social media, because uh, we knew the defense would see it or it would get back to them. So we posted pictures of our studio. We put, you know, we had this big 10 foot long 3D model of the scene and we posted pictures of that and us working with it. Uh, we posted, and that was the great thing about the camera stuff was we figured out a way to use, you know, when I when we paid to have that thing done a year and a half ago, we thought it was gonna be a live trial. We never thought that, never heard of COVID at that time. Yeah. Uh, but we figured out, you know, how to make it work, uh, and 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 we were going to get rid of all the problems with trying to use an animation that we had two little cars and you could move them and show how they hit and how they and you know there would be no objection to that and and it really was impactful. Uh, but we also were posting some pictures and stuff, and I think it really added to the terror effect uh, on the other side uh, because the you know the their reaction the the weekend before trial compared to how they'd been the other two years and three months of the case was night and day well that makes my heart happy because i was a part of that <laughs> you were a huge part of that yeah. and no i could not have done this without you and that's the other thing as we moved to the virtual trials i mean you know and, and you don't need you know i'm blessed i have a team of pros at my office uh, although we're learning on this stuff but you need someone to help you you cannot do this all on your own uh it's not possible you need someone to help with the lighting to help with the setup uh and so you know it's just part of it you have to and it, you know like i said you can if you practice enough i think you could do this on a smaller case uh you know we're just talking about you know put a put a sheet or a blanket or something hang up hung up behind this behind you so that you have a, you know a, a decent background thank you to everyone who attended cowan's big rig boot camp in august we had an excellent virtual turnout this year and are already thinking of how we can continue to raise that bar for next year 
If you'd like to attend virtually in 2021, be sure to mark May 20th, 2021 on your calendar now and save the date. To stay updated with details as they become available, visit BigRigBootCamp.com and sign up for our mailing list. And now back to the show. I think that that actually is something I, I want to share before we end is a lot of the stuff that we got, it was just on Amazon or Best Buy. And it wasn't stuff that broke the bank. You know, the backdrop that we got, the material itself was like under $30. If you actually want to put a backdrop up, you can buy that for under $100. And it makes a difference because you have those ring lights. The last thing you want is for it to reflect off your degrees in the background, which we noticed when we were practicing with you. Um, And sometimes you don't even have to do that. I, I recommend paying attention to where the lighting in your office is when you're on Zoom because you noticed in the second half of the day, your office has the sun facing in. And even if we close the blinds, the sun was coming in. So I spent $0 and brought in a box of something I bought <laughs> online. <laughs> I feel like I should share the photo. Yeah. <laughs> I will share sure. the photo to show what this looks like. But for $0, I just brought in a box of something big I had bought. And I just stuck it behind your computer to block your windows so none of the sun would come in and shine into your eyes. And just little things like that are so important because you don't want to be in the middle of you know, cross-examining someone and then you just have dots on your face. Yeah, all the dots from where the little strings go through the, the blinds. I just have like this line of dots across on my face like I'm some Scottish... <laughs> warrior getting ready for battle or something it was uh you know it was distracting yeah and the ring light the ring light reflecting off my degree behind me was distracting uh mm-hmm. and so you know and, and i think practice and like i said a lot, a lot of them weren't expensive and if you don't mind Lisa, can we just maybe post some links to some of the stuff we used in the show notes i i actually think the best thing would be for me to post direct links to all the pieces that we got yeah. um raul and i had talked about creating a video for our trial lawyer nation fans and showing you what pieces you need to buy if you decide you were going to do a Zoom trial or for whatever reason, and you want to use two cameras because on Zoom, you hit share video and most people just use one camera. But there is a piece of um, equipment that you can buy. It's an adapter. And if you plug that in and we show you how to do it, you can actually switch from one camera to another. So if that's helpful to any of the trialers who are listening to this right now, we're gonna create a video um, and post the links on the equipment you can buy so you guys can do it too. Another thing is in one of these document uh, cameras are really useful so that, you know, a lot of times it's it's good and better to put up an electronic exhibit, but sometimes you wanna draw on it. Sometimes you wanna, you know, uh, like we, I had one of the defense doctors and I took his deposition and, you know, our client had massive initial injuries. And so I didn't even ask him what his opinions were that were harmful to me. I just went through and I got a, just an outline that I got from depositphotos.com. You can get one from Shutterstock. It's all kinds of, you know, just uh, places where you can get Im- stock images, but are in good resolution. So I just got like a body outline. And I said, you know, he had, would you agree he had a severe traumatic brain injury? Yeah. And would, would that be about here? And I'd circle the head and I'd write, you know, severe traumatic brain injury. And then, you know, he had a tooth knocked out, right? And so I'd circle that, but tooth knocked out. Now the tooth ended up in the lung. So I put a dot in the lung and tooth in lung, wrote that out. And we're creating this through the defense expert. 
And, you know, and it would have done two things. One, before any of our doctors testify, the defense is talking about how hurt my guy is. Because I was going to play their, their medical expert before I played ours. The second thing is when he, because I did not ask him, because his opinion was going to be he got really, really hurt, but now he's a lot better. Uh, well, I didn't ask him in the deposition about how he got better. And the defense didn't ask him any questions in his deposition because they're going to bring him live at trial. So he was going to testify when I put him on about how hurt this guy is. And then a week later, the same guy's going to come back and say he's not really that hurt anymore. The, the, the dissonance that creates, it really looks like he said one thing the first time and then came back and told a new story. Uh, so, you know, just th that document camera was really handy with that. It's also handy when you have physical items, like, you know, you want to have two, two, you know, you're going to have a picture of the scene and two toy cars. If you don't want to do a big 3d model, put them on the, the document camera or even what I've done before is like we had a tractor trailer wide right turn case. You know, you can print out a, a, like a Google map picture of the scene, get some little try to make paper, or even like squares and rectangles for the tractor and trailer. And then you were here, then you were here and you just kind of like create your own animation with card, like kind of how South Park started with cardboard <laughs> over the, uh, over the background. And, you know, it's cheap, but it, it, it gives you a visual because if we're going to do zoom trials, we have to entertain the jury. We have, I mean, you know, for the opening, we found not so much. We wanted that, that eye to eye connection, but for the question and answer, I think we need to, we need to be breaking in visuals constantly. Uh, so that we're changing it up and we're entertaining them. Enjoying the episode? Do you wish you had Trial Lawyer Nation on the go? Well, wish no more. The Trial Lawyer Nation app is available now exclusively on iOS devices. Access our entire podcast library, create a favorites list, search for old and new episodes, and much more. It truly is Trial Lawyer Nation at your fingertips. Download this free app now and enjoy the top legal podcast for plaintiff attorneys wherever you go. So whenever we do this again, what are the biggest things you're going to be thinking about before our next Zoom trial? Well, thing one is we tried, but in Bear County, it was in San Antonio, Texas. You don't get assigned a trial judge until shortly before trial. So you don't know who your judge is going to be. And because of that, we had between our side and the other side, 14 Daubert motions with responses due the Friday before. Uh, we had summary judgment motions that had to be finished briefing and argued that we're going to be arguing that first Monday. We had uh, all the motions eliminated that had to get filed. The evidence, the, the exhibits had to be marked up electronically and exchanged. All, you know, basically, all the briefing had to be done that week before. Uh, it was really stressful to be doing all that legal work and juggling the witnesses because we thought trial was going to start on Monday, but then the judge decided to have two days of pretrial and start on Wednesday, which meant all of our, we had 11 experts we we're going to call between medical doctors, treating doctors and experts. Well, we had to go juggle all their schedules and they had other things. And, and so we're dealing with that and we're trying to prep our lay witnesses. We're trying to prep our expert witnesses. We're doing with schedules, practicing with the technology and trying to meet all these deadlines. We did it. Uh, if I had to do it again, I would have started with the technology a lot earlier, and I, I would have tried to find some way to get a pretrial conference and get those issues decided two, three weeks before trial. Plus, you know, some of my opening even, I, you know, I was going to have to call an audible after the motions and limine were heard and after the summary judgments were heard. Like, is this theory I want to talk about, it? is this going to make it to trial or not? You know, I was pretty confident it would, but it, I had to have in the back of my mind, okay, no, if the judge grants this motion, I'm going to have to change it this way. And if they grant that motion, I got to change it that way. 
and kind of like, what would be my other story? I don't want to, you know, I want to have a plan. I don't want to be freaked out uh, if something happens. I think one of the things I'll be thinking about is what technology do we need? What technology do we have? And what is our role in that to help tell the story? I think um, we learned how important simplicity was in all of this. And I think next time I want to think about what do we do so we're not overwhelmed in the logistics of all of this and we can still focus on telling the story, but doing it well. Yeah, I think the more we do it, I mean, the easier it'll be. I mean, this was all new. I mean, we're using new equipment for the first time, kind of our first time to go really. I mean, we had the virtual boot camp, but that was different. That's a CLE. And also because we weren't having to deal with with other people's Zooms and stuff, it was a webinar, we could control like I actually could point at where I was going to go because I knew where I was going to be. I knew where my screen was going to be. Uh, it was it was more predictable. And and frankly, on the virtual boot camp, you you hired a, you just hired a professional crew from the get go. We didn't try to do it ourselves. Yeah. Uh, whereas here, we tried doing ourselves. Uh, we're still going to do a lot ourselves, but for uh, the experts, when we were going to use the ten foot model, so that we could really, you know, be able to show the whole thing and have us standing up and have two, you know both of us in there at the same time and then follow the cars and. We were to use the professional camera people for that, and then for opening, closing, and jury selection. Uh, but if it was a smaller case. I'm sure we can do it all ourselves. Um, I mean, I'm confident, confident, but I think the more we practice with it, uh, but I, I would just tell the lawyers, like, please just practice and then watch the film. Uh, it's like college athletes, professional athletes, they're always having to watch the film to see what they did good, what they did poorly. Uh, let me rephrase, what they did well, my mother would kill me, that's bad grammar, saying what they did good. What they did well, what they did not so well, uh, and, and improve and, you know, watch the film and see how it looked on film and just work with it. Uh, but no one's going to be perfect. Uh, the other thing is just what really took my stress away. It was a mindset thing. It's something I've been working with sorry a lot on. So as much as we trial lawyers like to have big egos and we want to show that we're the biggest badass around and look, you, you have to have a little bit of that in you to do this work. I mean, frankly, you know, just to get up there and, you know, to go, like this case, to put hundreds of thousands of your own money into a case, take a gamble and get up there and put it all on the line. I mean, you've got to have an ego. I mean, but who cares? Because the jury don't give a crap about it. the jury is not going to give a big verdict because they think Michael Cowan's cool or Michael Cowan get a good job or, you know, he, he blew the other lawyer away or he's a badass or it looked cool. No, they don't give a crap about me. And if anything, I have negative credibility and maybe I look too slick. Uh, you know, so it's not about me. The trial's not about me. The trial's about the jury and their journey uh, from coming in as regular people. And, our, and they're going to do something. Now, what that something is to do justice, is it going to be something to get rid of a, you know, a, a lawsuit that's not a just lawsuit? Or is it they're going to see a company did something wrong and, and hurt somebody and they're going to try and make it right? Um, so it's about the jury. It's about the the jury's journey and it's about my client and what what my client's gone through and, and can we help the client or not and and you just have to trust that the jurors are there because they want to do the right thing and when you trust that then like they'll they'll work with you through a technical glitch they will it's just like if you're stumbling on a word or something it's not the end of the world they'll work with, they'll listen they'll wait because they care they want to do the right thing and I, and I really believe I really believe there aren't that many people that get out there saying, I really hate lawsuits. And so I'm going to get on jury just, just to torpedo this case. I think at one time there may have been a few more of them when the, the citizens against lawsuit abuse was really going on, but I don't think that that happens very often. I think it's more, they just don't buy your case. 
but I think most of them are there saying, I want to do the right thing. I want to do justice. I, wa I want to be part of something. I mean, I'm taking time out of my life. I'm getting in Texas. They're getting paid eight bucks a day. You know, I want to do something meaningful with this. And, and I think if we trust them that they want to do that, it takes the stress away because it's not on us. We can't we can't do anything meaningful. All we can do is is tell them the story, give them the tools that they need to do their job. And I just have faith. Um, and, you know, th that between just about having faith and then it being about my client, not about me, you know, it, it took all the stress away from getting ready. And then it also, it took a lot of stress over the settlement decision. Uh, it, it really did because we had a number and we weren't going to settle if they didn't pay that number. Um, and frankly, they made more than that number, but, <laughs> but, you know, that's another story uh, for another time. But the, uh, the fact is, you know, we had our number and I thought it was a fair number and I had no problem both going to trial. They wouldn't pay that number because I thought it was fair. And I want to make sure my client was taken care of. And that's the number we needed to really take care of him for life and his family. Uh, but at the same time, I had no problem taking, taking a settlement that got that got him that number. Because then we did what he didn't hire us. He didn't just say his family actually it was not even him. It was his family because he was really out of it when yeah. when the referring lawyer got hired. They didn't go hire the lawyers because we want Michael Cowan to win a big verdict and get famous and 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 really be you know get more good cases and and have a big ego and have all, everyone think he's great. That's not why my client hired me. My client hired me because someone hurt him. They didn't want to pay him, and he he needed money to live on and support his family and get medical care. And so when you run, that's the goal. That's why we're here then, you know, when we get something that's fair, that's not worth the risk of going for it. I don't, I didn't feel as bad about taking it, you know, like, oh, well, I'm a wimp, but I lost my opportunity. Yeah, yeah, it sucks. It sucks I lost the opportunity to try a case I could have hit a home run on because I think I really could have. Yeah. But at the same time, you know, that's one, there was a risk, then there'd be an appeal. And, you know, this is really, really taking care of that, this family. Uh, and it's the right thing to do. And, and I don't feel bad about it now because I'm keeping that mindset that this isn't me. The whole trial is not about me. I'm just one character in a play or one character in the TV show. And I think it was still a, another great opportunity for you to practice and hone your trial skills because we had to rehearse more because this was going to be yeah. Zoom. And it was magical to see that um, go to the next level each time you did it. And I, I enjoyed watching that. Thanks. Uh, I guess the last thing is, you know, the, the clients need some practice on Zoom. The witnesses need some practice on Zoom and, and they need lighting. And you need to think about where they're going to be. You know, we are trying to encourage people to come to the office. And I mean, and we know we have a big enough office. We could put people in separate rooms so we wouldn't have social distancing. And, you know, I think some some defense lawyers and even judges would object to you being in the same room as the client because you could give them signals or write notes. We wouldn't do that, but it could happen. Uh, but we had other offices. But I mean, because we wanted to make sure they had good lighting and stuff. Some of our clients lived in Laredo, Texas, which is like a three-hour drive. Uh, and we weren't sure that they were going to be able to do it. So I have a friend uh, who I went to law school with. We had arrangements to use his conference room. Uh, and we were going to set up a laptop with a good webcam. He had good internet. We were going to bring set up, you know, our, at least our ring light and, the, you know, make sure there's lighting there so that they had a place. Because if not, they may be sitting in a, in a house that's not very dark on there holding their phone or, yeah. walking, or, or you know, walking around somewhere holding their phone testifying. Uh, and it would take a lot away. Uh, so, you know, I think that's the other thing is that, you know, we need the practice for ourselves, but our witnesses need it too. Absolutely. Absolutely. 
Well, I mean, if anybody uh, has a big case and, in, uh, you know, I, I don't like begging for cases on here or, or pushing too hard for cases on here because, you know, I, I want this to be about you and, and not about just me getting business as much as, you know, I love it when I get to work on good cases. But seriously, if you have a, a case and the judge wants to do a Zoom trial um, and you're scared to do it and it's a good case, call us. Uh, we'll talk. Uh, whether we do it with you, you want us to do it with you or you just want to do it on your own and get some advice, don't be scared of the Zoom trial. I'm telling you. Uh, the options are either going to be Zoom trial or wait another year or two. That's the reality because when when trials start going again, our personal injury cases aren't coming first. We've got criminal cases. We have child protective services cases. We have, you know, uh, certain kind of family law cases with young children involved. Uh, we have a lot of things that are going to take precedence over our cases, unfortunately. And there's going to be a big line. And even when you get to personal injury case, there may be 10 older ones in front of you. So, don't be afraid of the Zoom trial. This is our best path to justice right now. And I am convinced uh, that it's going to be every bit as good as any other kind of trial. And I will share all of the links to everything we bought. And I'll make sure that we share a video on how to do some of the technical stuff to help everyone else along the way, too. All right. Well, thank you so much for joining us today on uh, Trial Lawyer Nation. On our next episode, uh, we're going to be talking about uh, a real trial. So. Come on back. Thank you for joining us on Trial Lawyer Nation. I hope you enjoyed our show. If you'd like to receive updates, insider information, and more from Trial Lawyer Nation, sign up for our mailing list at triallawyernation.com. You can also visit our episodes page on the website for show notes and direct links to any resources in this or any past episode. To help more attorneys find our podcast, please like, share, and subscribe to our podcast on any of our social media outlets. If you'd like access to exclusive plaintiff lawyer-only content and live monthly discussions with me, send a request to join the Trial Lawyer Nation Insider Circle Facebook group. Thanks again for tuning in. I look forward to having you with us next time on Trial Lawyer Nation. Each year, the law firm of Cowan Rodriguez Peacock pays millions of dollars in co-counsel fees to attorneys nationwide on trucking and company vehicle cases. If you have a case involving death or catastrophic injuries and would like to partner with our firm, please contact us. We have experience finding potential defendants that other firms miss, and we've added millions of dollars to cases by finding these sources of recovery. If you have a catastrophic injury or death case where the policy limits appear to be insufficient, give us a call. If we can find another defendant, we can partner on the case. And if we can't, then we won't ask for any of the fees. You can reach Delisi Friday by calling 210-941-1301 or send an email to podcast at triallawyernation.com. She will coordinate a time for Michael Cowan to speak with you in person or by phone to discuss the case in detail. This podcast has been hosted by Michael Cowan and is not intended to, nor does it create the attorney-client privilege between our hosts, guests, or contributors and any listener for any reason. Content from the podcast is not to be interpreted as legal advice. All thoughts and opinions expressed herein are only those from which they came.